Hey, welcome to Equippers Church Sermon of the Week. My name is John Sparrow. I'm the lead pastor here at Equippers Church, and I'm thrilled you're tuning in. I believe the message you're about to hear is going to encourage you, inspire you, and equip you for life. If you'd like to know more about Equippers Church and ways to partner with us, please visit equipperscc.com. God bless. Well, hey, let, let's kick this thing off. Uh, king of dysfunction, dysfunction, everybody has some sort of dysfunction. And if you are exempt from that, uh, please start like an online course to tell people how to do it. You'll make a ton of money. People will subscribe, I promise. If you have the tips and the tricks, tell us, please. But for the rest of us normal people, uh, we're functioning in this life with some sort of dysfunction operating in the, in the foreground or the background of our lives at all time. Can someone say Amen. We've got some sort of dysfunction. And so over these four talks, over these next four weeks, we're just gonna address it. We're gonna address the elephant in the room that everyone has personal dysfunction, marriage dysfunction, some sort of maybe occupational dysfunction, family dysfunction, function, 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 dysfunction. Um, but I, I'm believing that through this series that we're gonna see miracles happen. Uh, we're gonna see God break through in people's lives and bring healing and freedom and breakthrough. But how, how uh, what, what is it? take for a miracle to happen? Anybody? No, not faith. It's not Jesus. No, it's not asking. It's not belief. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not the anointing. It's not even Benny Hinn, believe it or not. Like what's required? No, it's not choice. What's required for a miracle to happen? Dysfunction. There's got to be a problem, right? (laughs) All the, (laughs) they were saying it the whole time. They knew they were at staff meeting on Wednesday. But it, uh, some sort of dysfunction or a problem is required for a miracle to take place. And so we're going to talk through some of these dysfunctions and believe for miracles to happen. Amen? And uh, before we get into it, hurry. So he said, <laughs> you're like, I'm dying here, bro. We'll get there really quickly, I promise. Um, let's pray. <laughs> I want the answer. Subscribe now and you'll have all the resources for free. Um, Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your leadership this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you as the teacher to lead us into all truth and into the revelation of Jesus. And God, I ask right now that you would remind us of how big you are. No matter the dysfunction we walked in this room with, God, we believe that you're bigger. We actually believe that you're king of it. You're the Lord of all. And uh, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, I, I was, uh, as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking back to elementary school. And uh, you know, like the schoolyard pick situation uh, where there was two team captains and then the rest of us little normal people lined up and then waited for our fate to unfold. And uh, right, I, I was so intimidated by that setting. It made me so insecure. Like just by looking at me, you can tell that I was not typically the first round pick for football, soccer, basketball, mathematics, English. <laughs> uh, just wasn't the first round pick. Uh, we just say ever. Um, so those those situations were really intimidating. And so there was two team captains. They go through the list, of, the rows of uh, kids, and they look for some sort of aptitude. You know, we need some height. We need some agility, uh, speed, whatever's required for the sport we're about to play. And I was typically uh, towards the end of that choice. And you never want to be the last kid, huh? You never want to be the last kid. That's so embarrassing. And, and everybody, you know, they, they pull out like the encouraging things. Well, we just felt bad for the other guys. No, you didn't feel bad. You want to win. So you didn't pick me. 
first shall be last, last shall be first, you know, like those sort of encouragements and things. Um, and so uh, God sends Jesus to the world. The Father sends Jesus as captain of the world. And he, his assignment is to choose his team, to take his pick, who he wants on his side. And this team was responsible for uh, establishing the church. It was responsible really for global transformation. This is the role of Jesus, to be captain of the team. And so Jesus gets to the earth, and if I were Jesus, I would have chosen much differently than Jesus chose. I think Jesus' choice for his team was, I think we could even say that it's comical. Like, the group that he picks is so dysfunctional. Like, they, they are wacky, wackos, weirdos, fishermen, tax collectors. They had alcohol in their breath, I'm sure. They were just going about their lives in their ordinary ways. And Jesus says, oh, this is a perfect opportunity for global transformation. <laughs> like, at least try the Pharisees, you know? Like, because the Pharisees, they at least had the appearance that they had it all together. You know, they, they showed aptitude in certain areas. They were well-versed, and they showed some sort of discipline, and they probably would have conformed well if they would have realized what was really going Like, at least try the Pharisees who appear to have it all together. But Jesus' choice is, is very different. He, he chooses a lot differently than we would choose. And we even see throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, typically a king would choose based off qualification and outward appearance. Like Nebuchadnezzar, he chooses Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they were of a royal descent and they were good looking and eloquent and smart, right? So if that was me and I was gonna make a plan for global transformation, I'd pick those guys. Anybody just say amen, I'd pick those guys. And uh, the ladies out there, amen, I'd pick those, those <laughs> like the single lady. I, I heard somebody way too loud. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Uh, you know who you are. And that was too loud too, man. <laughs> um, so Jesus chooses the unschooled, the ordinary. Uh, these guys didn't make the cut. And when it came to following a conventional rabbi in that day, they would have attempted to, but fallen short. Uh, they were unqualified. So they were tradesmen like I said, fishermen, the whole thing. And, and these guys were quick to speak, slow to listen, um, wacky, right? But I think the standout out of these characters is Peter. And we use Peter all the time for referencing things and using him as the example and sort of the butt of most of our jokes. But I think the best thing about Peter and using Peter as an illustration is that we're all Peter, right? Like we can all associate with Peter uh, a lot more than any other of the disciples, I think, because he was quirky. He got ahead of Jesus a little bit. He was saying things out of time and out of line. He was even acting upon his emotion in ways like chopping people's ears off. Anyone chopping anyone's ear off this week uh, just because he couldn't contain it? Um, speaking of, I got a reference back to, you know how I was telling that story about the one person who has to open their window shade? The whole way back. The whole way back, this lady on the same row as me had her window shade open the whole time. And she, this is a 10 and a half hour flight. And she was looking out the window the whole time. Anyways, that's my rant. Like, what is she looking at? Anyways, God bless her. I feel great. Um, we're going to pick up Peter's story in uh, Matthew 16. This is an exchange with, with Jesus that we use often. I'll, I'll read it. Uh, Jesus is talking and said, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, 
Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not even revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Uh, when Jesus, uh, oh, did I, we had those flipped, didn't we? Now we go. And, and, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's powerful, right? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is like a proud Jesus moment. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but he's also a leader, you know, like he's leading people. And this is a really proud moment for a leader because you see little old Peter start starting to show some sign of qualification. He was getting it. I relate leadership to like playing golf. Anybody lead people in this room? You just have some sort of responsibility of leading people. For me, it's like playing golf. Like, like the idea of it is really nice. <laughs> But the actual execution of it is incredibly frustrating. And I apologize if there's anybody in this room who's under my leadership, but sometimes you are frustrating. And uh, Jesus is in the same scenario. He, he, but the, the thing about golf is that you, what keeps you playing is that one shot, right? It's like that one shot where you nail it, you make it on the green, you get par instead of triple bogey, right? So there's just these moments that keep you coming back, playing golf, spending too much money, taking way too much time, and going home frustrated. And for some reason, you just keep doing it because there's a chance that at that one moment, that one time, you're going to have a really good shot. Any golfers in the room? Come on, the quiet guys. You, you don't expect like a loud roar from the golfers, do you? Um, and so Jesus, it, it, he has a proud moment. This is like the moment that, that keeps Jesus coming back because Peter, uh, he shows some sort of aptitude here and he says, you're the son of man. And Peter, and Jesus responds like, you are so solid, Peter. I'm so proud of you, buddy. I, I, I know it's been a long journey and I know you've left a lot for me, but now you're showing signs of success. I'm so proud of you. And because I'm so proud of you, you're getting an upgrade in your name. Used to be Simon, but now we're going to call you Peter the Rock because you're solid, man. Good job, buddy. Keep going. Just keep going after it. I'm proud of you, man. This is a great moment for Peter, and typically in church we stop there because it's a really powerful passage of Scripture. Right? On this rock we will establish the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, loosed on earth, loosed in heaven. It's really powerful. But I just want to point out the fact that um, seconds, moments after Jesus addresses Peter as the rock in which he will build his church, he calls him by a different name. <laughs> he goes from being Peter the rock. Get this. I'll show you in Scripture. Minutes later, he calls Peter Satan. <laughs> he says, you are Satan, a stumbling block. Check this out. This is immediately after. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, that he must go to, uh, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Like, okay, solid rock Peter, you know, overstepping your boundaries, rebuking Jesus. He says, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Woo! 
So in one moment, he was the rock, and the next moment, he's the stumbling block. And look, we can point fingers at Peter, but this is like scary relatable. (laughs) Like this is way too relatable. Like anybody else shocked by how quickly their lives can go from glory to gory? (laughs) Right? Like we point fingers, but like we have these mountaintops moments and we come to church and we're in this presence and there's great worship and we engage with God and our sins are forgiven and we're refreshed and renewed and there's revival in our lives for about an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. And then we get in the car and we realize that your wife, she didn't clean the car. My wife never does this, by the way. This is an example that I'm sure is other people because she keeps our car clean. She's in the front row. So I got to wash my mouth. Um, but you start nitpicking at life, right? Like you, you get agitated by the strangest little things. And within about 30, 45 minutes, you're in a full-blown argument and your life is right back to the dysfunction that it was right before church. You go from glory to glory way too quickly and way too frequently. Is there anybody real in the room that would say amen? Gore, glory to, to glory, right? In one moment, I'm on the mountaintop, and the next moment, my dysfunction gets the best of me. See, in one moment, Peter's the rock, and the next, he's the stumbling block. And the word that's used here in Scripture is the word scandalon. And it it, it means to offend or to be an obstacle. And really, this word is referencing to Levitical law. Get this. Jesus uses this to address Peter. Scandalon means... Uh, It's this law, it's this reference to this Levitical law where you can't throw a rock in front of a blind person walking down the street. Like, how jacked up can you be? But there's a law about that. Don't throw a rock in front of a blind person. And now Jesus is saying, Peter, you scandal on. I'm well-intentioned and well-meeting, the pure, spotless one, and I am on a mission. And how rude and naive of you to be a stumbling block in my path, in my vulnerability, Peter, you scandalone. Whoa. Like the heights that Peter had fallen in those moments. And uh, often our dysfunction displays itself in, in, in stumbling blocks. Would you agree? Agree. Like, it's in moments uh, that try to derail us. And you know when you really notice uh, stumbling blocks, dysfunction? When there's movement in your life. When there's some sort of momentum in my life. That's a conference plug. Go register in the lobby after church. But uh, when there's some sort of momentum in your life, you really notice the stumbling blocks, don't you? But when you're stagnant, uh, you just step around it. That sort of dysfunction, that habitual sin, whatever it may be. There's no momentum in my life anyways. You know, there's no forward movement. I'm not really in the process of anything, so I'll skate around it. But what's really shocking and really discouraging is that we are in a full-fledged chase after God's purposes. is intense. There's traction in our lives. And then the dysfunction always comes, doesn't it? It's like right when I was on a good one, right when I assumed that I was the rock, right when I thought that there was something stable about my life and that there was something worth building on in my life, right in that moment, I really notice when I become a stumbling block in those moments. And I think we can all associate with Peter in this moment. Uh, So I think I've addressed the problem, right? Like we all have dysfunction. We're all clear on that. Uh, And if you're not, God bless you. You are an angel. 
So what I want to talk about for the next 10 minutes is the function of our dysfunction. Because there's got to be some function about it. And I want us to view this next portion uh, of the sermon through this filter. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down and write it on your heart, whatever it is. That nothing is wasted in God. Absolutely nothing is wasted in God. We can count on that. And so what if my dysfunction really had a function? What if God was able to use my dysfunction? What if he was able to use the thing that was considered a stumbling block in my life and use it as a building block for my life? What if that was possible? And I think it is because nothing is wasted in the, in the kingdom of God. So uh, Peter was a rock and now he's a stumbling block, right? But uh, as I was reading this, I was reminded of the great theologian Lloyd Christmas. You guys know who Lloyd Christmas is? Uh, he was featured in a movie, Dumb and Dumber, Lloyd Christmas. Uh, he's a great theologian, uh, and, and he has this moment in Dumb and Dumber that I, I just imagine being a Peter moment, and we're, we're going to watch it here. There's some audio for this if you're ready for it. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! I read you. <laughs> I read you. <laughs> Look, here's the deal. He was a rock, and then he was a stumbling block, but then Peter's like, so you're telling me there's a chance. Like, we haven't averted the plan of, like, we're still in stone reference, right? Like, like, I'm still in the ball game. I'm still in the ballpark. Like, we haven't abandoned ship on the original plan. Like, like you didn't revoke my title. You just changed it a little bit. But I'm in, man. I, I get where you go. I read you, Jesus. I know that I had a moment, but you didn't revoke the stone language from me. Jesus is like one in a million, and he's like, so you're telling me there's a chance, right? Yeah, absolutely, because there's some sort of function for our dysfunction. Jesus did not revoke the title from Peter in that moment. And, and what I want to address is that sometimes uh, the things that appear to be stumbling blocks can really be building blocks, and I think it's mostly a matter of perspective. I think it's a matter of perspective, like Lloyd Christmas. When we are discouraged, we can still say, but nothing's wasted in the kingdom of God. There's still hope for this moment. There's still hope for this time. And in scripture, uh, the Bible uses the word weakness for dysfunction. They're interchangeable. When we talk about king of dysfunction, we could use the term king of weakness. And uh, the band can come up. We're going to wrap up here shortly. Uh, it's biblical to be short. I just want to say that. It's Matthew chapter 6. Um, <laughs> So the Bible uses this term weakness in exchange for dysfunction. And uh, Paul, Paul says this. Therefore, oh, these are mixed up as well. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about 
my weaknesses, my dysfunctions, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in dysfunction, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, really then I am strong, he says. See, we get trapped in our dysfunction when we become complacent with our dysfunction. You realize by reading Paul here that he was given a thorn in his flesh. There was something that came to torment him, but he still went to God three times with it. But how often do we have some sort of dysfunction, some tendency, some habitual sin, whatever it may be that's trying to derail our lives and divert God's purpose, and we just accept it as part of our own. We said, well, that's just my lot in life, and we become victim to it. But Paul goes to God three times. He said, man, this hurts. This is uncomfortable. My weakness is uncomfortable. So he goes to God, and God, he doesn't take it away. And so he said, okay, I'll, I'll just keep going. And he goes to God again. God doesn't take it away. He goes to God the third time. God doesn't take it away again the third time. And so instead of becoming victim to this thorn in the flesh, instead of becoming victim to his weakness, instead of becoming weakness, uh, victim to this trial, he, he, said, he thinks this. Well, in accordance to God's character, in accordance to God's nature, in accordance to my history with God, I'm going to take a good, solid swing at believing that the very thing that was trying to derail me is actually the thing that's going to set me up for my destiny. But sometimes we just stop it at the first time, you know? Man, this dysfunction is such a bummer. It's just me. It's just my lot in life. It'll just, you know, this is how life's going to turn out for me. Is this just dysfunction is going to, the cycle's going to repeat, and I'm going to just end up like my dad, and I'm going to end up like my mom. I'm going to end up like my grandfather because everybody in my family history has, they just ended up a certain way. And so, but what Paul does, he goes to God three times. And after that third time, he, he says something really powerful in the scripture that the, the, the root of this thing was evil. It was a true dysfunction. But here's the beauty of it. That dysfunction displayed itself in four ways. It turned into humility, right? He said that it was so I don't become conceited. And that one thing turned into another thing, God's sufficient grace. That one thing turned into a third thing, Christ's perfected power. That one thing turned into a fourth thing, ultimately strength in exchange for weakness. Woo! According to the nature and character of God, the thing that was supposed to derail you was actually the building block for your destiny because that's just how God worked and there's nothing wasted with him. He is the king of our dysfunction. It's not outside of his rule. It's not outside of his reign. He's the king of it. It's as if Paul said this, Man, I was violently punched in the face. <laughs> and it hurt. But the craziest thing, after I was violently punched in the face, I opened my eyes and the world was a little bit brighter. And the world, it, the world was actually a little bit better. And the craziest thing happened. I got punched in the face and somehow I, I opened my eyes and I had brand new sunglasses on. It's like the very thing that was supposed to derail me is actually the building block for my destiny. The stumbling block turned into the building block. And we think, man, but if I didn't have this dysfunction, you know, I, I would be this. And 
If I, if I could just not sabotage every relationship I get into, if I could just, if I wouldn't be so scared of success and if I wouldn't be so scared of failure. And can I just tell you, without those things, you would not be you. And without those things, you wouldn't experience the humility. Without those things, you wouldn't experience the sufficient grace. Without those things, you wouldn't experience Christ's perfected power in your life. Without those things, you would never walk in true strength. Because the whole time has never been about you and your adequacy. The whole time it's never been about you and your stability and your strength and your ability to be the rock. Really what Jesus is saying when he doesn't revoke the title from Peter is this. Peter, you're a rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And Peter, you're a stumbling block, and on this stumbling block I will build my church. Come on, there's so much hope in God. That our dysfunction doesn't have to be our end. Come on this stumbling block, on this dysfunction, on this weakness, on these trials, we can boast all the more because it's the very avenue that God has chosen to build this church. And uh, so we think, you know, what, what do we do with this dysfunction? What do we do with this dysfunction? In uh, Matthew 16, it continues. I, it doesn't look like the, the slide made it over to the screen, but that's Okay. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Jesus, what what do I do with my dysfunction? In these mountaintops and these valley lows, in my being a rock and my being a stumbling block, like this thing polarizes so quickly. So God, what do I do with it? And I think Jesus gives us the key. He says, if you really want to be my disciple, you, you just have to lay those things down. See, Jesus hadn't been crucified yet. So these, these guys don't have like the post-crucifixion idea of the cross, do they? All the cross meant for them was death. All the cross meant to them was an association with Christ and putting things to death. So Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to walk in stability, to be a rock that I will build and establish my church on, you just, you just got to crucify those things. You have to associate with me. Paul says it in Galatians 2, don't have a slide, but he says it like this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Look, this dysfunction is the very thing that Christ died for. It's the very thing that he chose to build his church upon. And there's been so much history that would say that God is going to build his church on perfection. God is going to build his church on beauty. God's going to build his church on adequacy and eloquence of speech. And there's this idea that what God is going to do on the earth has to come in a certain formula or in a certain box. But I'm going to tell you this morning that really you are the church. And on this stumbling block, I will build my church even in the dysfunction, but the key is that we, we gotta lay it down. Can't become our identity. 
can't become victim to the way we are raised. We can't become victim to our family dynamic. We can't become victim to our surroundings, our environments, our past habits, our addictions. And a lot of us will pray for it, but we're still living under a generational curse. And we've just believed that curse because it was that way for them that our dysfunction is going to be the same and history will keep repeating itself. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray and sing a little bit more, but... I know, I'm confident I have my own. In, in planning this, you know, you, you think about your own dysfunction that's operating in your life, in my life. And I don't know about you, but I, I got like this, this sort of righteous anger thing that came over me and like, look, this isn't gonna be my portion. This isn't gonna be my children's portion. Look, I'm, I'm gonna break the cycle of dysfunction. Come on, anybody. I'm going to break the cycle of dysfunction in my family. Look, I realize that there's going to be glory to gory moments. It's a part of life, but I'm not going to make that my default. I'm going to actually believe that what God is going to do with my life will be significant, and it's not going to be sabotaged by my dysfunction. I'm not going to be a stumbling block anymore. The key is I have to associate with Christ in his death. Just... Let those things die. Like to the point where they have no more pulse and they have no more say and they have no more authority and there's no more life in them. I, I, like they're so dead, I won't get the same satisfaction out of those things anymore because they don't exist any longer. And so with eyes closed and head bowed in a moment of response, if you've been take an inventory of of your life and your dysfunction and you want to just line in the sand moment like this isn't my portion this isn't my family's portion this isn't our future's portion I'm going to bring my dysfunction and I'm going to give it to the king today he's the king of your dysfunction if that's you would you lift your hands just in response I believe the Holy Spirit is going to do a mighty work in his people today just if you're able to, both hands lifted, just in response and surrender. Come on, whoever really wants to find life has to lose life. Like whoever really wants to find destiny, you gotta give up the dysfunction. You gotta give up the generational curses. You gotta give up. And I know those things have been so comfortable for you. I know it's really easy to associate with your vulnerabilities. It's really easy to associate with your victim mentality but can I tell you there's a new day there's a new dawn there's a brighter future there's a new grace it's the very thing that God will build his church with so Holy Spirit I ask right now in this moment you as the teacher you as the one who leads into all truth would bring freedom you'd bring breakthrough God I ask that this wouldn't just be any other moment But God, there would really be a mentality shift. There would really be the ability and the grace to take the very things that were stumbling blocks and turn them into building blocks in people's lives. And and, and church, I want to tell you again, God didn't revoke the title. He didn't take away the title. He didn't take away the calling. He didn't take away the promise. He didn't take away the purpose because there was some dysfunction. There's still a chance. (laughs) There's still a function for your dysfunction. 
So God, I ask right now that you would seal it in people's hearts. You can put your hands down for just a moment. I believe God can do things suddenly and quickly, but this might be a vulnerable one for people, but I think it, it takes a bit of audacity. If anybody wants to break some generational curses off of their life, like there's been, like just fear has gripped your family for generations. Poverty has gripped your family for generations. Addiction has gripped your family for generations. Premature death has gripped your family for generations. I believe that by the authority of Jesus Christ, those things will be broken in this time, in this moment. So if that's you, like you, you want to take a stand on behalf of generations, would you lift your hands and say, this ends with me. This ends here. This ends now. Not so for my house. Not so for my family. Not so for my children. Woo! Come on, church, would you begin to agree with me in prayer? Just declare it in faith. If you have a heavenly language, begin to pray in your heavenly language. God, I ask that in this moment that you would break the cycle in Jesus' name. We say generational curses are broken off in the name of Jesus. There's nothing too intimidating. There's nothing too addicted. There's no cycle that's gained too much momentum that God can't break it in this moment. And so, Lord, I prophesy over every person that has their hands raised that they are a rock, God, and there's a new stability to their family. And, Lord, we prophesy to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. We say, be whole in Jesus' name. We say that you will have a fruitful life, that you will go about in ways that we have never gone before. You will take new ground. You will take new territory because you will not be bound by your dysfunction any longer. In Jesus' name. Come on, if that's you, I, I want you to just stay in this moment with hands raised and a moment of reflection. I want you to really, like, take a real good look at what that's going to look like for your family. Come on, what if your kids didn't have to battle addiction? What's that look like? Come on, what if the next family gathering didn't have to be awkward? What's that look like? Come on, no matter the poverty that you grew up in, can you, visual, can you just go there in, in your heart that like there's prosperity for your children? There's prosperity for another generation. Can you go there in your heart? Can you fix your soul to it? Can it be a burden for you to pray and to press in and to keep going to God and say, God, there's nothing that's wasted in your kingdom? You got that? Come on, if anyone got that, just give me a wave. Say, I've got a vision for the future generations in my family that they won't be bound by dysfunction any longer. Come on, you got that. Just give me away. You got that. Awesome. This is a beautiful thing. Guys, we have no clue what just happened in that moment. I never want you to despise those moments as we get together as a church. There's this great illustration that you can count the seeds in an orange, but you can't count the oranges in a seed. Right? You get what I mean? And so you have no clue the fruit that's coming from what you just sowed in faith. You have no clue the generation. Well, I pray that you are feeling encouraged, inspired, and equipped to take on whatever you may be facing in this life. 
And hey, why don't you consider joining us? We meet every Sunday at the Clark Center in Arroyo Grande at 10 a.m. And it's always a good time. We'd love to have you with us. And for any more information, ways you can partner with us, please visit equipperscc.com. God bless. Ready?